Alright. You guys know. You guys know what happened. Uh, I don't need to go into the entire news story. Everybody knows that the Capitol was stormed yesterday by Trump supporters. And, uh, while I'm trying to get away from politics, um, not forever, but for the time being on this channel, how could I not address this? How could I not weigh in? Um, no excuse. No excuse, man. And you know I've made, um, some positive videos and podcasts concerning Trump, um, and while I'm not one of those, uh, you know, I, I I veer away from like doing what what the media already does for for the rest of the country, right? Like talking shit about Trump. But this this is uh this is something else, man. This is don't you dare. If you are one of those people who who condemned the riots that happened over the death of George Floyd, um, the riots that happened all throughout the summer, along with the peaceful pro, if you were one that um, protests are fine, but but rioting is unacceptable, uncalled for. Don't you dare try and justify what happened at the Capitol. It's unacceptable. And, I, and I'm the type of person who can condemn both. And there's no excuse for it. And I see people doing it, though. I see these diehard Trump supporters, you know, saying, well, you know, there's been over a hundred days of riots all summer long, and no one did anything about it. So, uh, you know, don't complain when we do it once. No. No. You don't get to do that. There's no tit for tat. You don't get to say, well, they did it. Like, what are you? What are you, nine? My son tries stuff like that. You're acting like a child. You're acting like unruly Ignorant children. And by the way, to all you um, so-called patriots, you're doing it wrong. It's not patriotism. Um, when you are storming a government building with Trump flags. Ridiculous things I've ever seen. I'm not, like, I, I'm... I'll never understand waving flags with someone's name on it. I'm sorry, I never will. It's ridiculous. It's like I almost would have believed that 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 you believed you were doing some sort of patriotic duty if you weren't holding Trump and Confederate flags. And not everybody there was was waving Trump and Confederate flags, but of the people who breached the Capitol building. Um, 
Yeah, there's photos of that. There's video of that. There are people there, a lot with Trump flags, which I just think are ridiculous. Okay? I'm not saying a Trump flag is inherently racist or something. Um, I don't really compare it with the Confederate flag. But just the idea of, of um, you know, waving a flag with a man's name on it, that, that is like so ridiculous to me. That's silly. And to take it that seriously, like, yes, Trump, this is not the United States of Trump. What are you doing? What are you doing? I think the idea of candidate flags is ridiculous. Um, and then obviously Confederate flags, like, what, what the fuck are you doing? You're, you're, you're claiming to be some sort of ultimate patriot standing up for what's right trying to, you know, claim to be, like, a, an American while holding and waving a flag of a flag of insurrectionists, right? A flag of traitors. So you're going to storm the Capitol building as a quote-unquote patriot while waving the flag of a traitor. I mean, that's more than stupid. I can't even begin to, ex like, to explain how stupid that is. Look, I, uh, I, I don't have much else to say about it. I, 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 it's despicable um, it's unbecoming uh, it's embarrassing and I think it sets us back even further than we already were like this insane far left far right divisiveness this further polarization that's been happening um for a lot of people would say for the past four years, but I'd say for the past um, eight plus years, it's been, it's been, the divide has been growing. I don't think it does us any good. Um, I honestly, I, I wish I could have voted for a candidate like Tulsi Gabbard. And, and I don't know how many times I have to say that. I, I really hope I get the chance to. She's a young woman, so uh, I'm hoping I'll get plenty um unless someone else even better comes along. But I feel like we need a rational centrist. And that doesn't mean weak. Uh, people in the weakness, right? Being, being more... No, our representatives should be um, moderate for the most part. Because I feel like most Americans are moderate. Most Americans fall somewhere in the middle. They believe a little of this and a little of that. And they're not, it's not as it's portrayed on social media, on, um, on the television, you know, on, <laughs> it's not, it's not what you see. You only see the fringe. You only see, um, the worst of each side. And, you know, it's a terrible representation of the country because that's not where most of us fall.
I consider myself a, um, I guess you would say, like classically liberal. I I believe in, you know, the the basic founding principles of this country, and that's where I stand. And I, I, more of a more of a libertarian when it comes down to it. Uh, I don't like classifying myself as a libertarian party uh, because there are some libertarian uh, you know beliefs that I'm not for um, but for the most part man I feel like it's the most uh, the, the closest to being a constitutionalist that you can be um, but I don't like to classify my years ago I classified myself as conservative um, Republican and just as I've grown uh, throughout life and you know learned new perspectives and started to see things uh, in a different way I've become more and more um, moderate more and more where I have some beliefs on both sides and I would like and I think most people are that way and I would like for our government to represent that the way it's supposed to anyway that that's all I got to say about it today um, Look, I'm really hoping to avoid political stuff for a while. Like I said, I keep saying it, but it's, it feels like every every couple of weeks I come back to it. Um, but really, I like to move on to some other, some fun stuff, you know. Um, what I do on this channel is I pick a random topic every day. It's usually entertainment or pop culture related, um, but it, it it I delve into other stuff as well. Obviously, this is a more political. Uh, video slash podcast um but i delve into life stories i live into uh you know i delve into personal opinions um you know all kinds of different content but i try to post something every day so if that's something you can vibe with a random topic in your feed every day then please subscribe for more or follow or favorite the podcast and if you decide to stick around if you decide to subscribe or favorite or follow then i will talk to you again tomorrow thanks All right, I'm just going to go ahead and show my hand here in saying that season two of The Mandalorian, in my opinion, was a perfect season of television. Today, I'm going to go through and talk a little bit about each of the eight episodes in season two and lay out why I think it was drastically better than season one, which I also loved, but it had nothing on this second installment. And uh, I'm going to try to lay out why this season was practically flawless. So we'll just get right into it, talking about episode one, the Marshall, or as I like to call it, the Tremors episode. Um, so it starts out, Mando heads to Tatooine because he's heard there's a Mandalorian there. And uh, he meets this Marshall, who, who's not a Mandalorian, but somehow he's come by some Mandalorian armor. And this Marshall is played by Timothy Oliphant. Love Timothy Oliphant. Huge fan of him and everything. Um, anyway, he says uh, he said he'll, he'll trade his Mandalorian armor if Mando can get rid of this giant sandworm, this crate dragon that plagues the town. So Ma Mando soon realizes he can't do it alone and eventually convinces the town to team up to eradicate this giant crate dragon from uh, you know basically a sandworm from the movie Tremors. Uh, but way more formidable. So they end up defeating the beast uh, with help from the child, and all is well. 
Mando heads off to his new destination um, with the Mandalorian armor. Um, and in the final shot of the episode, we get a glimpse of the real Mandalorian who is on Tatooine, and it's Boba Fett. Yeah, hell of a way to blast off a new season. And, and the episodes only get better from here. Right into episode two, The Passenger. Now, if episode one is the Tremors episode, then episode two is definitely the Ridley Scott Aliens episode. And I'm beginning to wonder if there's a trend or a theme here. Like, are we going to, is everything going to be reminiscent of some earlier science fiction work? Anyway, uh, Mando meets a frog lady after a scuffle with scavengers and agrees to transport her eggs to another system so her husband can fertilize them. Now, uh, they're the last of their kind, so he's literally saving a species from extinction. Now, in exchange, she will give him information as to where he can find some Mandalorians, because he's still searching out Mandalorians, um, because he thinks that they might lead him to Jedi, and that's where he's trying to get, you know, uh, the child. So, during transport, the ship encounters a few X-Wings who demand that Mando um, land and allow for inspection. He refuses, and an insane ship chase ensues, eventually ending in a crash landing where Mando and friends hide in a Hoff-like ice cave, only to discover that the cave is a nest full of ravenous alien spider eggs that are uh, beginning to hatch. So um, when it seems hopeless and Mando's completely overwhelmed by these giant spider aliens, uh, the X-Wings appear again at the perfect moment to firebomb the aliens, allowing Mando and the child and the frog eggs to escape. Now, episode three, Mando and the child are taken prisoner by a group of pirates who plan to feed them to a giant kraken <laughs> like it's a kraken like monster i don't think it's a, a kraken um and i didn't catch the name of the the monster but you get it it's a giant kraken okay um so they, they want to feed him to the monster and take mando's beskar armor and this is where season three gets really fucking fun okay mando and the child are rescued by the very mandalorians that they've been searching for at least we think um but, but these aren't just any Mandalorians. It's three Mandalorian women, one of whom is Bo-Katan. Uh, she's a prominent character from probably my favorite Star Wars property, which is the animated Clone Wars. After rescuing them, she basically calls Mando a religious fanatic who adheres to the old ways, and even goes so far as to take off her helmet to show that her group of ragtag Mandalorian friends are the new age, right? Um... The new way of thinking. Anyway, in exchange for them telling Mando where to find Jedi, uh, which is where this whole season is supposed to be leading, uh, Mando agrees to help them on a mission to retrieve the Darksaber from Moff Gideon so that she can return as the rightful heir to Mandalore. In the end, uh, they, they don't retrieve the Darksaber, but Bo-Katan does tell Mando where to find Jedi, and, and the Jedi she sends him to look for is ahsoka tano holy shit i knew the season was going like i knew it was going there uh but it was just awesome to finally hear that name like one of the reasons this season is so goddamn good to me is because of all the the, the clone wars tie-ins and i know that makes me biased being a huge fan of clone wars but you know it makes it really easy for me to to love what they did with season two all right, right into to episode four, the siege. Mando 
goes back to the planet where season one ended and runs into Grief Karga and Cara Dune again and ends up helping them on a mission. Now, I, I love this episode. I, I love these characters, but even more um, than I love the characters, I love Carl Weathers. I'm one of the biggest Rocky franchise fans ever, and Apollo Creed is one of my all-time favorite characters. So seeing him again is just fucking awesome. And in addition to starring in this episode, fun fact, he also directed it. Now, the action in this episode is insane. I loved it so much. Like it, it felt a lot like the original trilogy for me. Um, you know, or or something even more recent, um, Rogue One, which I absolutely loved. Now, the budget for this one had to be crazy. It, it was a fantastic episode. But as I said before, it only gets better. Every time I think that that it's the best episode yet, and that they couldn't get better, the next one's always better. Episode five, The Jedi. Holy shit. It was all about nostalgia in this one. Even more than the previous week, okay? Because this was heavy with Clone Wars. Like, mainly because we finally get to see a live-action Ahsoka Tano. Rosario Dawson brought her to life in glorious fashion. I loved her as Ahsoka. Uh, so, so here's what happens in this episode. A group hires Mando to hunt and kill Ahsoka. But instead, he has something else in mind. He's been looking for a Jedi this whole season, after all, and now is his chance. He ends up teaming up with her instead and, and helping her take out the people who were trying to hunt her down. Um, also in this episode, Ahsoka communicates with the child, and we finally learn his name, and his name is Gogru. Uh, she's sympathetic to Mando's mission, but says she cannot train the child uh, because he's, he's too full of fear anger and trauma um you know it's not good to empower um someone with that kind of fear and anger and trauma. we've seen that we've seen that play out with um anakin skywalker in the past so she eventually sends mando on his way and tells him where he might find some other jedi who may be able to look after gogru uh just such an awesome episode and i'm sure we'll be seeing ahsoka more in the future uh but i, I love this episode so much i was confident after watching it, that, that now it had to be all downhill, right? For the rest of the season. How could it get any better than live-action Ahsoka Tano? I mean, this had to be the crescendo, right? Wrong. Episode 6, The Tragedy. Right off the bat, Boba fucking Fett, ladies and gentlemen. Holy shit. Uh, we saw a glimpse of him at the end of episode 1, but now we get full-on awesomeness. Full-on Boba Fett. Uh, when when Mando, and the, Mando and the child, or Gogru now, reach the ancient Jedi site where Ahsoka sent them, they don't find any Jedi. Um, but they do figure out that this is a site that is sacred. And, and Gogru sends out some sort of force beacon into the galaxy, alerting any Jedi uh, that are left to his presence and calling out to them. Uh, as I said, they, they don't find any Jedi here, but they do run into Boba Fett and his companion, uh, who have been stalking Mando, because Boba wants his goddamn armor back, right? That was his armor that he got from the Marshal. Um, uh, so he confronts him, and Mando says that Boba is not a true Mandalorian, and doesn't deserve their armor. And so, they begin to fight. And also, at the same time, the Imperials have arrived. Uh, they've been trying to kidnap Grogu, you know, throughout the entire season. They've been trying to catch up to him, so they can take him. Um, they want to, 
use him for their own ill will. So madness ensues, and eventually Boba Fett and Mando and friends all team up to fight off the Imperials led by Moff Gideon from Season 1. But not before the Imperials get their hands on Gogru and escape with him. Ah. Episode 7, The Believer. Now, some of you may not agree with me on this one, but for me, Episode 7 was one of the best of the season. Uh, We got Bill Burr back, and his performance blew me away. Really powerful. Like, this dude is not only one of the best comedians on the planet, he's also a damn fine actor. Um, and, and him as Mayfield, it's just, it's such an awesome character. It, it really is. Like, so this episode, it shows us a side of the Empire that we have not seen in the past. It really humanizes them and shows you their perspective for a moment. It, it's really important to do this in, with an antagonist, you know, and, and we don't see that a lot in Star Wars, uh, but, but it's important. It's important to do this in any storytelling that you show this human side of the antagonist so that your protagonist isn't just fighting some mustache-twirling evil for the sake of being evil villain. Uh, it shows you that when it comes down to it, these are just people fighting for what they believe in. And these Imperials, you know, down at their soldier level, they believe what they're doing is right. Anyway, Mando and company recruit Mayfield, who is currently working in a prison camp, for a mission to infiltrate an Imperial base, and gain access to some files that they need to track down Moff Gideon and rescue Gogur. Now, I'm not a big fan. I'm, I'm not a big car chase guy. Um, I know I know that they're all the rage, but they've they just never done much for me. I've never been a like, oh, I love car chases in movies. Uh, but this episode, we get a Matrix Reloaded-esque fuel truck chase scene. And we get some really good moral relativism, you know, monologuing from Mayfield. Um, like I said, damn fine acting by Bill Burr. Uh, a lot happens in this episode, and I won't go into every detail, but I will say that I absolutely loved it. And a big part of that was Bill Burr's performance. So, in the end, they get the information they need and are off to find Moff Gideon, but not before gathering some of their old friends for the task at hand. Finally, we've reached the finale, episode eight, The Rescue. And it may be, in all honesty, the best episode of television all year. Mando and friends confront a horde of dark troopers and Moff Gideon himself on an Imperial ship. Amazing action all around. The dark troopers are legitimately scary. This episode has it all even before the big reveal at the end. So, one of the biggest features in this episode was the Mandalorian women and just how awesome it was. Like, so these women infiltrate this Imperial ship. They're kind of leading the charge and they're just taking out people left and right. It's fucking awesome to watch. Um, Do you remember that scene in Endgame? where it was like a girl power moment right at the end. It was like, it was like, it featured all the female heroes and it was like this, it was just this really a little too on the nose, like women. Yeah, we're women and we're powerful, right? This did the same thing, but so much better in a way that didn't make you feel like they were trying to convey a, a a message to you, right? 
it just felt natural and it felt good. You forgot that this was all female warriors storming this imperial ship. It just felt like people doing some badass shit. It didn't feel like anyone was trying to make any kind of point, you know, like, hey, look, these are women and they're badass too. It, it wasn't like that. It was just like, wow, these <laughs> these are some badass um, warriors, right? It was almost an afterthought. It was like, oh, hey, those were all women leading that charge, wasn't it? Like, and I think that maybe that scene in Endgame and, and kind of fan reactions to that may have helped, you know, Disney and help, um, you know, uh, the, the, the creators of Mandalorian, uh, the writers for Mandalorian to dial that back and do it right. Like this is, this is the way you do diversity, right? You, you spool it in, in a way that it doesn't feel forced. It's just natural. And they did it in glorious fashion here. Um, so good. So damn good. Um, anyway. Um, so that that was awesome. And then the fight with Moff Gideon. Like seeing the Darksaber up against the Beskar Steel. It, we've never seen anything stand up to Kyber Crystal Saber. Right? A Kyber, Kyber Crystal Saber. It, it was awesome. Like amazing fight scene. And... Uh, the Dark Trooper, right? Okay, so the, the fight with Moff Gideon in itself was awesome. It was amazing. Um, you know, between Mando and... So we've got the women trying to get to the bridge and take over the ship. Meanwhile, Mando is trying to find Moff Gideon and try to find Gogru. And at the same time, these Dark Troopers are being released. And these, like I said, these Dark Troopers are fucking scary, dude. Scarier than any other... Um, you know, villain really that, that I've seen, um, just these heartless automatons, you know, it's scary. Uh, and they look truly menacing. So it Mando has an incredible fight, uh, with a dark trooper, like barely makes it out alive. And it just, it makes you realize just how formidable they really are. Is like truly terrifying, and they look so badass. And and at the end, when a whole new regiment is released, you know the odds of fighting them off are literally non-existent. Like there's no chance for Mando and friends, none, zero, until an X-wing appears. Holy shit! It's a Jedi, but which one? Could it be? Can it be? Nah, no way. The Jedi makes his way on board and starts slicing through dark troopers like a hot knife through butter with a green lightsaber, a.k.a. Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. But is it really him? This is... Look, this is basically the Darth Vader scene from Rogue One, but longer and somehow even more exciting. In the end, the Jedi reveals himself to be Luke. And it's awesome. Awesome. It was like, almost brought tears to my eyes. It was so amazing. And they did that um, age regression uh, technology where they, they, they actually took, um, you know, they, they made him look like Luke would have looked, you know, five years after the return of the Jedi, which is when this takes place. Um so in the, in the end, Luke agrees to take Gogru with him. And Mando says a heartfelt goodbye, 
even taking off his helmet to reveal his face. Such an awesome, so good. Um, just like I said, what probably the best episode of TV for all of 2020. Um, okay, so in an end credit scene, it's revealed that we are getting a Boba Fett series in December of 2021 called The Book of Boba Fett. And if it's half as good as The Mandalorian, I am 100% on board. So, in closing, look, 16 chapters of The Mandalorian and, you know, The Child's Adventures. Um, while I enjoyed the first eight chapters of season one, uh, the next eight were light years better. And in my opinion, a perfect season of television. Just the way it, it perfectly built to where you thought it must be the crescendo or getting close to it, right? All the way. A lot of these shows have a lull in the middle. You know, kind of a more boring episode or two right in the middle of the season. Not this one, dude. Like, this one got better and more exciting with each and every episode all the way up to the very end. And the end was the most exciting part of the entire thing. This is how you do television. And I feel like where where, where I used to wonder if eight episodes was enough to tell a compelling story, I'm starting to think that eight episodes is, is like might just be the ticket, might be the perfect number of episodes for quality television. Anyway, um, if you enjoy videos or podcasts like this, here's what I do on this channel. Uh, every day, I try to do it every day. I'm not perfect, but most days I do it. Um, I try to pick a random topic and talk about it. And it's usually entertainment or pop culture related, but I delve into other things too. Politics, uh, personal life stories, uh, commentary on, on current events, all kinds of things. But I try to post something every day. So if you're into that, if you can vibe with that, if you would like something new in your feed every day or close to every day, then please subscribe for more. And if you decide to, if you decide to stick around, if you decide to subscribe or uh, to the YouTube channel or favorite or follow the podcast, then I will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks. All right, so I'm seriously debating whether or not I should change the name of this channel to Late to the Party or Better Late Than Never because I'm always, I'm notoriously late on breaking news, right? I got a busy life. I do other things. This is not my, uh, it's not my main gig, so forgive me um, if you've already heard this news, but I'm excited about it, okay? And, you know, that's what I do on this channel. I like to talk about things that excite me, things I actually want to talk about. So forgive me if it's late. Kevin Feige has confirmed Deadpool 3 is in the works for the MCU. And this is the best part. It's going to be R-rated. At least I think so. Let, let's uh, let's dig into this article here uh, from Collider, and then I'll, I'll kind of give you my my reaction throughout. So, this is by Adam Chitwood from Collider. Uh, it starts off: There were a lot of questions that arose when Disney bought 20th Century Fox, but one big question Marvel fans had was about the future of the Deadpool franchise. Only just a few short years ago, the low-budget, R-rated superhero movie paid off for Fox in a big way, 
becoming its most prized superhero property. A sequel was immediately greenlit, but the victory lap was short-lived as Disney swooped in and Fox's future Deadpool plans were put on hold. Clearly, Disney wouldn't throw away a franchise and a character as valuable as Deadpool, but questions remained regarding how the R-rated property would fit into the exclusively PG-13 box of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, as it turns out, pretty neatly. Collider's Steven Weintraub recently spoke with Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige in anticipation of Marvel's first Disney Plus series, WandaVision. And during their conversation, Feige gave a promising update on Deadpool 3. Revealed when filming will begin, and most importantly, confirmed the sequel will be part of the MCU. That's right. When Deadpool 3 happens, it won't be as some uh, related property with a, with a couple of jokes about the MCU. Ryan Reynolds' foul-mouthed mercenary is officially joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he'll be keeping his R rating, Feige said. Um, the, the writers Lizzie Molyneux, Loglin, and Wendy Molyneux, I think that's how you pronounce those, um, are, are hard at work on the script with Reynolds overseeing. But Deadpool 3 filming won't begin until 2022 at the earliest. And this is a quote from Kevin Feige. He says, uh, it will be rated R, and we are working on a script right now. And Ryan's overseeing a, a script right now. It will not be filming this year. Uh, Ryan is very busy, very successful actor. We've got a number of things we've already announced that we now have to make, but it's exciting for it to have begun. Again, a very different type of character in the MCU, and, and Ryan is a force of nature, which is just awesome to see him bring that character to life. The article goes on, uh, this is an exciting update. Obviously, Feige and co. have their hands full, production wives, as they're in the midst of filming Thor 4, Spider-Man 3, and this year we'll also begin filming Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, and Captain Marvel 2. So, Deadpool 3 won't be hopping onto the dance card until 2022, uh, meaning the film probably won't hit theaters until 2023. But that doesn't mean we won't see Deadpool before then. Given the character's metatextual nature and Marvel's knack for cameos, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the character at some point this year or next in one of Marvel's many films and TV shows. WandaVision premieres on Disney Plus on January 15th, but there's much more where that came from. Feige also told us about the upcoming Secret Invasion series and revealed that shows like Loki and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier will have longer episodes than some other Disney Plus Marvel shows. Alright, so that's the article. That's uh, straight from Kevin Feige's mouth. You know, it's going to be R-rated. Um, Ryan Reynolds is overseeing and they're in, you know, they're in the beginning stages. They're putting a script together and uh, I could not be more excited. I just recently went back and watched uh, the first two Deadpool films. Um, not, not, not for the first time. I've seen them several times. Um, but I don't know. I was just feeling nostalgic and I, and I knew there wouldn't be any Deadpool for a while. And I'm like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to watch these. And I watched them back to back and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I cannot wait. Like I, I've been skeptical, right? Like, how how are they going to fit this 
super foul-mouthed, you know, uh, super inappropriate character and set of films, you know, how are they going to weave that into the MCU? And I don't know, it just sounds, it sounds like they're just going to do it. Now, obviously you can't have, um, you can't have him be as raunchy as he is when he's doing cameos or appearing in other, um, MCU films that are are rated PG-13, but you know you can you can slip uh, the F word into a PG-13 movie. Um, you know you can't do like overly explicit like sexual jokes and stuff like that, um, but you can definitely slip in some some foul language. And we saw that in uh, uh, X-Men: First Class where Logan said "fuck off." Um, and it was like the, the, the one F word, you know, they were allowed to put in there and still keep that PG 13 rating, but they did it. And, uh, so, so it's definitely a thing. Uh, it's definitely something that they can do. They, they, they can work in. He, there could be a little foul language, uh, but overall, I feel like they will have to, uh, tone him down a little bit, uh, in, in the other films. Now in an R rated Deadpool film, hopefully we just, we just get the same old Deadpool. Uh, that's that's something I was worried about, you know, when and a lot of people were worried about when Fox uh, was acquired by Disney. And, you know, it's like, well, what are they going to do with this? Because you can't just forget about this. I mean, you can't forget about Deadpool. Um, it, it's, it's a cash cow. There, there's no way they're going to let that go. Um, and I think that fans have been pleading with them to, to keep it an R rating. Um, and, and I'm, I'm with those fans 100%. I think it needs to be, I think that's what made it, uh, part of what made it so good. But I also feel like Ryan Reynolds, um, his delivery is so good, um, that, that he could make a PG 13 movie still seem pretty raunchy and still be just as funny and ridiculous. Um, I don't know. He just has his comedic timing is ridiculous, you know, on point all the time. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited, really excited to hear that Deadpool three is keeping the R rating and that it will be in the MCU. Uh, 2023 obviously is a long time to wait, but holy crap, we've got so much stuff to keep us busy, especially with everything being pushed forward, um, from 2020, you know, the next six months to a year are basically jam-packed with Marvel content. And pretty much all of it is in the cinematic universe. So, like, all the shows that are on Disney+. Plus. And if you're interested, I have uh, a podcast that I do. It's called Marvel+. Plus, and that's all it is. It's breaking down and reviewing each episode of those Disney Plus Marvel series. So if you're interested in that, please go check that out. It's called Marvel Plus. And um, it's me hosting, and then I bring on guest hosts. Like, every other week, I have another guest host on to, uh, to break down the latest episode with me. And the first episode will be this upcoming week. You know, when, when WandaVision drops, two episodes to start the season and I can't wait. I've been, I've been waiting a long time to get this, uh, get this podcast going. I've done a few episodes, but obviously there's been no content to review yet. So, you know, it's really, uh, going to start taking off this upcoming week. So if you're interested, please go check that out. Uh, you find it on any podcast app, just search Marvel plus that's spell it out. P L U S. Um, anyway, 
So I'm excited for Deadpool. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, let me know. Do you, do you think they that Disney is uh, making a mistake by putting R-rated films out there? Um, it's not really in their character. Uh, do you think that it's going to be as good uh, now that the that Disney owns 20th Century Fox? Do you think that Deadpool will still be the same? Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident. But I, like I said, I want to hear what you guys think. Let me know in the comments below. Or if you're listening to this uh, in podcast, in audio format, uh, then hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, at RealBrettScott, and let me know what you think. Um, if you like videos or podcasts like this, here's what I do on this channel. Every day, I try to pick up a random topic. Now, I'm not perfect. Uh, I might not put out something every single day, but damn near. I'm pretty damn good at staying consistent. So if you're interested in that, you know, if you can vibe with that, getting something brand new and hopefully interesting in your feed every day, then please subscribe for more or favorite or follow the podcast. And if you do stick around, if you decide to subscribe, then I will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks. All right. I never saw this one coming as evidenced by the tattoo on my chest. I never imagined that the trademark symbol of a fictional comic book character would be considered by anyone to be a symbol of hate. In recent years, and especially after the Capitol riots, the skull symbol adopted by Frank Castle, a.k.a. the Punisher, and modified several times over, through its more than 40-year history, has come under fire. And it really fucking sucks. Not just for me, but for the many lifelong fans of this amazing character. It's unfortunate that the Punisher's signature skull has been co-opted in recent years to instill fear and worry throughout the country, but I'm also not going to pretend for a second as I've heard others say in defense of this character and symbol, that it's not precisely what the symbol is supposed to express. The Punisher stands for vigilante justice, vengeance, and obviously, punishment. So technically, the rioters, they were using it correctly. You know, from their perspective, they were there to combat or make a stand against something criminal. Corruption at the highest level that the law was overlooking. Exactly the type of justice doled out by Frank Castle in the Punisher comics, TV series, and films. Unfortunately, their view is misguided. They believe they are defending the country from a hostile takeover of sorts, which it's simply not true. So, the symbol is absolutely supposed to evoke these feelings from criminals and it's supposed to stand for vigilante justice but it's supposed to do this in a fictional world a world that i happen to love and i'm not alone all right let's uh let's dig into this article that kind of breaks down what's going on with this whole punisher and punisher skull controversy So uh, the article is by it's uh, from InsideTheMagic.net. It says, Industry figures call on Marvel to retire corrupted Punisher amid Capitol riots. 
Significant voices in the comic book industry have called on Marvel Comics to retire the Punisher character. They feel it has become corrupted due to its logo's use in last week's United States Capitol building riots. Several groups have used the iconic Skull logo over the years, but seeing it on rioters' shirts at the Capitol pushed some on social media over the edge. Some Twitter users call for Marvel to be firmer on copyright infringements, while others call for Frank Castle's retirement from the Marvel Universe, stating that the concept behind him is corrupted. Now, this is me talking here. Um, you know, th the idea that, that Marvel could be firmer on copyright infringements, um, yeah, I mean, that's something. That, that could be something. Uh, they could definitely not let um, other companies or... Um, any, any groups, uh, official groups, use their symbol. Um, they could definitely, you know, go after them in court. So that, that would be one way to stop people from co-opting this, this symbol. Um, but anyway, let's go on. Um, who is the Punisher? Frank Castle, a.k.a. the Punisher, has been a staple of the Marvel Comics universe for years. He has been an ally and enemy of many a Marvel hero, including Daredevil and Deadpool in addition to popular Avengers like Scarlet Witch and Black Widow. He's best known for his Netflix series where John Bernthal played him. Uh, this, it says this is also technically the MCU's version of the character for now. Unfortunately, Netflix didn't invite John Bernthal's castle to be part of the Defenders alongside Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and uh, Jessica Jones. However, the character also starred in several movies and was famously played by Dolph Lundgren in the 1989 film The Punisher. The Punisher is known for his incredibly violent way of dealing with things, something you'd never see in a Marvel Studios movie. Frank Castle views all criminals as worthy of death, and he wears his iconic Punisher skull to strike fear into the hearts of villains. Some debate whether Castle is a hero or simply an anti-hero, vigilante, who uses his own grief to justify his brutal methods. Methods. Why is the Punisher logo controversial? Castle's proclivity towards murder as a solution for crime has been his defining trait since Marvel first introduced the character in Amazing Spider-Man number 29 in 1974. The murder of his family has historically driven his intense bloodlust, but that hasn't stopped him from coming to blows with more morally virtuous superheroes like Daredevil and Spider-Man. Indeed, we saw this play out in the Daredevil Netflix series as Season 2 pits Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock's non-lethal brand of crime-fighting at odds with Castle's desire for, for vengeance. However, while the anti-heroic Castle was a mere outlier of the Marvel Universe, his logo has been used in the real world by several groups. In particular, many Blue Lives Matter rallies and police officers and soldiers have been known to adopt the logo. Last week's use of the logo by the Capitol rioters, however, has brought about significant online controversy. Who is saying it's time to retire the Punisher? As expected, there were many Twitter users who called out the rioters for wearing the logo. However, many of these voices also came from prominent industry figures, including Mitch Gerrits, who worked on the Punisher for 20 issues and designed the new Skull logo. Check out what he had to say. He says, yep, I worked on Punisher for 20 issues. I designed a new skull. I designed a patch for charity. Um, 
Seeing it used by these groups today shows Marvel needs to retire it till it's no longer adopted as a symbol of hate. Other prominent comic book figures included uh, black artist Jamal Eigle and Van Jensen, a writer on many properties, including James Bond comics, Green Lantern, and The Flash. Take a look. Uh, it says, I don't say this lightly. It's time for Marvel to put the Punisher out to pasture. The concept is corrupted. Hey, Marvel, I love the Punisher, but that character and symbol are corrupted forever. It's time to retire Frank Castle. Popular comic based YouTuber Comic Tropes also chimed in. The seditionists that invaded the Capitol today wore a Punisher logo. I say Marvel needs to either aggressively enforce their trademark so it isn't printed everywhere or abandon the Punisher completely. You can't allow your characters to be used by terrorists. It's one thing for your average Twitter user to suggest canceling a character, but quite another for prolific artists, writers, and artists and writers to speak out, particularly one who worked on the character. Whether or not Marvel Comics will crack down on the logo usage or retire the Punisher completely remains to be seen. Inside the Magic will continue to follow the situation as it evolves. So, there you have it. Um, gotta say, um, the, the, the idea of enforcing copyright uh, makes a lot of sense, um, but I am very much against retiring the character um listen i understand the apprehension but i think we need to take a stand on these things we can't let misguided assholes take away things that we love we shouldn't destroy art for the sake of comfort i love frank castle i love the punisher and i love the stories that revolve around him and i think if you get rid of him or his iconic symbol you are, in a sense, surrendering to the very people who are trying to take away what we love. If we give it up, we are essentially giving it to them, saying, it's yours, and we'll be giving their use of it more power in the end. Also, as I said, you know, with the tattoo, I'm sure I'm a bit biased. I mean, nobody wants to be walking around with what the world considers a hate symbol tattooed on their chest so you know take what i'm saying with a grain of salt it definitely comes from a, um, a a biased stance but listen if you feel like me please speak up be heard fight for what you love whether it be free speech freedom of expression and creativity or simply the freedom to continue to enjoy the art we have enjoyed for decades and want to continue enjoying for decades to come If you, if you enjoy videos like this, look, here, here's what I do. Uh, videos and podcasts like this. What I do on this channel is every day I pick a random topic, you know, something that interests me. It's usually pop culture or entertainment related, um, but sometimes it, it's just my, my commentary on current events. Uh, sometimes it's personal life stories, all kinds of things. But if that interests you, if that's something you can vibe with, I try to do it every day. I'm not perfect, but most days I'm putting out some content. And so if you want something new and interesting in your feed every day, then please subscribe or favorite or follow the podcast. And if you decide to, if you decide to stick around and favorite or follow or, or subscribe to the YouTube channel, then I will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks.